You are listening to the Strangers and Pilgrims podcast. Quality cigarette every smoker can afford is the cigarette of long-burning, costlier tobaccos. Yes, that's Camel. And there are millions of Camel smokers to tell you that no other cigarette gives the same marvelous combination of smoking pleasure at its best and more smoking per cigarette. That extra amount of smoking in Camels is confirmed by recent impartial laboratory tests of 16 of the largest selling brands. By burning 25% slower than the average of the 15 other of the largest selling brands tested, slower than any of them, camels give a smoking plus equal to five extra smokes per pack. And it's mighty nice to get extra smoking when it's topped off with the superb aroma and delicate taste of camels' costlier tobaccos. Not to mention how much cooler and milder a camel smokes. Anyway you figure it, camels are your shrewdest cigarette buy. And now let's have our visit with Blondie and Dagwood. We find them this afternoon in the shopping district. Blondie has been to a lecture this afternoon, and Dag took her to lunch at the hideaway tea room. They're just leaving the place now, and here they come. My, it's nice to eat out for a change. I had such an appetite. <laughs> oh, let's walk along the street before we start home. Yeah, I had an appetite, too. I still have. Oh, I thought it was a lovely lunch in Yeah. Every course was salad. Those tea rooms put lettuce in everything. Now, Dagwood, if you had your way, you'd eat nothing but meat and potatoes. Yeah. You have to have greens, too. I felt like a tame rabbit, sitting there nibbling lettuce with all those women looking at me. That was because you were so handsome, dear. Well, <laughs> I-, I like women all right. But too many of them makes me nervous. Why, at the lecture today, the audience was all women. And Mr. Frothingham Fairforth didn't mind a bit. He just half closed his eyes and talked right on about the exciting things he had done. Yeah? What had he done? Oh, he'd escaped from cannibals and shot lions and lived on pemmican for days and days. Oh, so that's why you asked for pemmican in that tea room. Well, I just wanted to taste it. I guess it would taste pretty fishy. They live on fish, don't they? Who lives on fish? A pemmican. You know, remember? Oh, what a bird is a pemmican. His beak can hold oh, more than no, his... Oh, no, dear. Pemmican is dried meat, mixed with raisins and things to make it more nourishing. You take it on safari. Oh. Uh, take it where? On safari. That's an African word, too. It means when you go on a long trek in the jungle or somewhere and can't carry much food. Yeah, pretty nourishing stuff, huh? Well, uh... Oh, remind me to get some next time we go to the delicatessen. Oh, I don't think they'd have it. It's just for he-men like Mr. Frothingham Fairforth. Oh. I guess there wouldn't be much call for it in our neighborhood. Listen, Blondie, don't run down our neighborhood. I bet that guy Frothingham just made up all those stories about eating pemmican and shooting lions and cannibals and... Oh, no, Dagwood. He had such lovely, honest eyes. And he was all sunburned. Mm-hmm. Dagwood, don't you want to hear about the exciting things the man did? Uh, go ahead if you want to, but uh, let's walk along the street. <laughs> All right. We'll window shop as we go. Oh, look at those cute hats. Oh, come on, dear. You've got a hat now. Happy Times Hat Shopping. I must remember that. Oh, Frothing and Fairforth says the African women don't wear any hats. Yeah, I know. They don't wear stockings either. 
You don't have to go to Africa to find that out. Why, Dagwood, <laughs> I think you're a little jealous of Mr. Frothingham's airport. I am not. But when a fella's wife comes home all excited about some phony like that, Why, I think Dagwood it's a... Bum said he's not a phony. Yeah. He's missed death by inches a dozen times. Too bad. Wait till I tell you about the time he saved all their lives. Listen, he was going along with his natives, and all of a sudden they came to a danga. A what? Uh, that's where lions hide, in a danga. Oh. So he stopped in front of this danga, and you know what he said? Sure, he said, danga any farther, boys. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a bit funny. No, he said, wait, boys, I smell something like a lion. Yeah. Did he admit that in front of all those people? Don't be vulgar, Dagwood. No. He just knew there was a lion in that danga. So he raised his rifle and fired just once, and then walked right into that lion's den. And what do you think? I think he was crazy. Oh, I mean, what do you think he found? A dead lion. Mm -hmm. How long had it been dead? What? Oh, why, he had just shot it. Oh, I... He said it was the biggest lion ever shot in Africa. Yeah, some lion. <laughs> you get it? Some oh, lion. you're <laughs> as bad as Mr. Fuddle laughing at your own joke. <laughs> oh, look. What? Look, in this window, a picture of Frothingham Fairforth's no. autograph. He needs a haircut. See, there's a copy of his book, The Joy of Danger. Oh, I wonder if all those guns in the window are his, too. No, they belong to Boomer Grundy and Gretch, the people who run this store. My, I never saw so many guns. Sure, this store is the biggest sporting goods anywhere, I guess. Everything from a cap pistol to a cannon, uh, that's their slogan. How did you know that, Dagwood? Oh, I used to trade here. You did? Uh -huh. Why, what did you buy in here, Dagwood? Uh, a BB shot for my daisy gun. Why, I never knew you even handled a gun, Dagwood. Well, just because I don't go around writing books about it or selling tickets to hear me talk about myself. Did you ever shoot anything? Oh, sure, sure. Um, no lines, of course, just uh, smaller game. What kind of game? Huh? Oh, oh nothing much. Forget it. Oh, look, there's something Baby Dumpling would like. That huge thing? Why, he couldn't carry it. Oh, no, not the shotgun. I mean, the water pistol right underneath it. Well, mm, I don't know. He might go squirting it in the house. Well, a boy ought to learn to handle a gun early. You don't want him to be a sissy. How old were you when you did your hunting, Dagwood? Oh, about seven, I guess. My goodness, that was young. Mm. Oh, look, see that white hat in the window? That's a cork helmet like Frothingham Fairforth wore on safari. Yeah. Oh, it's romantic looking, isn't it? It's hard to keep clean, though, like white shoes. What did you use to wear hunting, Dagwood? Overalls. It was dirty in the barn. Oh, oh. oh I mean... Did uh, you do your hunting in a barn? It, well, yeah, mostly. Uh, that's where the game was the thickest. Now, what kind of game could anyone shoot in a barn? Huh? Well, well, I shot roaches. Oh, Dagwood. <laughs> all right, all right. But it's harder to hit a running roach than a sleeping lion. Don't forget that. Oh, I guess it would be. Yes, sir. A good, lively roach is a tough target, especially with just an air rifle. Oh, that's what you hunted with. Mm. Well, of course, uh, I take a bigger gun now. There's one in the window. Would be a nice size for you. Hmm? Oh, <laughs> that's a twenty-two. What's twenty-two mean, Becky? Huh? Oh, why, that, it, um... Uh, 22 inches long. Uh, oh. Would you mind if I went in this door and looked around, Blondie? Why, no, dear. I'll come with you. Uh, well, never mind, then. Why, Dagwood, you wouldn't be ashamed to have me with you, would you? Well, no, it's not like we're buying my suits, Blondie. I don't think men take their wives along when they buy things in a man's store like Boomer, Grundy, and Gretch here. Oh. Well, I'll walk back to that little happy time hat shopping. 
You go ahead and have fun looking around in the store. But don't buy anything, mind. No, I'll just price that water pistol. Just price it. <laughs> All right, Daniel Boone. <laughs> be careful in that revolving door. Don't be long, dear. Bye. Sure. I won't. Bye. Pardon me, uh, could you tell me where the water pistol department is? No. Oh. Uh, uh, well, could you tell me who could tell me? No, go away. Now listen, I don't think a clerk ought to talk that way to a customer, even if I am only pricing water pistols. Is it possible, my misguided young sir, that you've mistaken me for a clerk? Well, uh, well, uh, uh, well, thanks, I'll just wait till a clerk shows up. Uh, my poor young friend, do you know where you are? This is Boomer, Grundy, and Gretch, where the clerks are trained to hide from customers. You couldn't walk up to a Boomer, Grundy, and Gretch clerk and speak to him just as you spoke to me. It isn't done. Uh, well, thanks, but I'll just wait then until one shows up. Uh, but it isn't as easy as all that. No, no, mercy, no. Uh, well, I'll get the hang of it after a while. <laughs> what do you do if you want to buy something here? You pretend to be interested in something else. Oh. That way the clerk who sells you what you do want may glide by. I've known it to happen. Is that why you're looking at this case of bird's eggs? Uh, they are bird's eggs, aren't they? The most amazing collection of rare wild bird eggs under one roof in the world. Are you an ornithologist, my young friend? It, well, uh, no, we stick to our old family doctor. Hmm. You don't like eggs? I've got nothing against them, I guess. Shandam, uh... young sir. Turn away your gaze. Refuse to fondle them. Once you become an egg, you lost well, You look all right. Do eggs bother you much? They're my life. As a boy, someone gave me a robin's egg. That was the beginning of the end. I got a second egg, then a third, and so on. Soon I thought of nothing else. I wanted only eggs and more eggs. Mm. Uh, can't you buy them if you want them? I have both. I have the second finest collection in the world. If I had one more egg, it would be the finest. Gosh, can't you afford to buy one more egg? Afford it? Certainly I can afford it. I am... I don't say anything. Can anyone hear this? Uh, I don't think so. Then I'll whisper my name to you. I feel I can trust you. Uh, well, thanks, but uh, I... Yes, yes, you have an honest face. It reminds me of the whistling fish. Splendid bird. Uh, come closer. I, sir, Michael Bain Q. Gorb. Guys, the, the multimillionaire? Yes, yes, yes. But what are millions when I can't buy the world's one perfect egg? But why can't you buy with all your money? Because the vipers who operate this store won't sell it. Boomer, Grundy, and Gretch are egg collectors, too. If they sold me this, then I would have the best collection. Look, look, here comes a clerk. Now, my secret. Let me have a few moments' peace gazing at this perfect specimen in the case. Pretend you want to see it, then lure the man away. Uh, well, uh, gosh, I'd like to help you, but... Uh... Here he comes. Ah, uh, uh, good afternoon. Uh, there he goes. Stop him. Uh, oh, pardon me. Yes, quite all right. Something you require, sir. Uh, I'd like to look at some uh, eggs, if you don't mind. Oh, I'm so sorry, but uh, eggs, no, not my line, you see. I'm in the firearms department. You sell things for, well, uh, hunters and explorers and people like that. I display our line, sir. Oh. The most complete in the world. Occasionally a sale is made, yes. Uh, uh, <coughs> uh, 
Well, I'm in the market. Pemmican? Mm -hmm. We don't stock it regularly, but I could take your order. Mm. You want enough for your next expedition? Yeah, well, uh, I just wanted a sample to begin with. Of course. Men like yourself, whose lives depend on the quality of the pemmican they carry, can't be too careful. <laughs> Except this way. Don't put me down now, making sure you the egg. Uh, which one? Uh, the only one worth looking at. That one. Oh, gosh, you mean the big one mounted on the white satin like a diamond or something? A diamond. A diamond can't compare with that egg. Don't you know what that is? It's a pretty color. That, sir, is the egg of the pink-nosed plover. The only one of its kind outside the British Museum. And theirs is much smaller. That is the corner of eggs. Oh. I must touch it. Just once. Make him take it out. Ah, oh, here you are. I thought you were coming with me. Uh, well, the fact is, I, I just got interested in that uh, egg. Uh, the one on the white pillow. Mm, yes, yes. An interesting item, they tell me. Let's see. Valued at $12,500. But it's not for sale. Oh, I wasn't going to buy it. Uh, but my friend here, Mr... Uh, Brown. Oh, uh, yes. Brown. Yes. Uh-huh. Oh, Yes. Uh, Mr. Brown would like to see it. Well, I really shouldn't take it out of the case, but for a big pemmican buyer like yourself, Mr. Uh, uh, Brown. Uh, no, a Bumstead, I mean. Uh, Dagwood Bumstead. Oh, <laughs> you celebrities always going under assumed names to avoid publicity. <laughs> but you can't fool me. Mr. Brown, yes, an honest name, but Bumstead. <laughs> Obviously invented and hastily invented. Hey, now listen. Oh, it's all right. I'll keep your secret, Mr. Uh, Bumstead. Are you going to let me see that egg? Oh, certainly, certainly, Mr. Brown. Uh, here it is. Now, be careful, won't you? The pink-nosed plover is extinct, you know, and the egg very rare. Uh, please don't lift it from its resting place. And now, uh, Mr. Bumstead, <laughs> this way, please. Well, if you haven't any pemmican, oh, I... Oh, our get... pemmican department's at work on the matter. Oh. But I have something new I want you to see. A sportsman like yourself will be fascinated by it. Oh, I can't wait to show you. Well, uh, uh, let, let me uh, guess what it is, huh? Is it a, a water pistol? Oh, dear me, no. Imagine a man like you buying a water pistol. Quite impossible. Well, I, maybe I'm not as much of a hunter as you think. A man who asks for pemmican. Oh, my dear sir, I wasn't born yesterday. But, now, uh, now, uh, don't be insulted. But do you ever shoot uh, a small game? I, I used to years ago as a boy. Oh, of course. But, uh, Anything smaller than a grizzly would be child's play to you now. Uh -huh. But we do have a grizzly rifle that I wanted you to see. A cute little thing. Oh, Mr. Frothingham Fairforth bought one of these today. Oh, that phony. What did he ever shoot? Oh, come now. He may not be in your class, of course, but he sometimes brings in a fair bag. Mm -hmm. uh, that uh, that moose head on the wall is one of his specimens. He dropped that moose at the age of ten. Hmm. I've seen bigger uh, uh, meese than that. Oh, really? Why, yeah. I've always been told that that moose has the largest antlers ever brought back to civilization. Brought back? Yeah. But when I was ten, I didn't even bother to bring back my uh, game. Just left them where they fell. Oh, dear me. Hmm? Uh, haven't you uh, <clears throat> anything bigger than a grizzly gun? Sir, Boomer Grundy and Gretsch have everything. Now, here's a number you might like. For rhinoceri, a 60-60, double-barreled and hair-triggered. Seconds count when a rhinoceros charges. Oh, hey, gosh, it's uh, heavy. 
<laughs> I was afraid you'd say that. But we found that we can't risk a lighter gun when the ammunition is so powerful. Why, look at this cartridge. Guards, that's a dandy, all right. With that cartridge in the gun and the gun on your hand, mm -hmm. you can face anything that walks. You're ready for a life-or-death combat with nature in the raw. Oh, well, I like my nature just medium rare. <laughs> I can see that this is the gun for you. Right. Now, slip the cartridge into the loading chamber. There. You see, simple, eh? Yeah. Never jams and never fails. The chamber takes eight cartridges. I shall put in another. Oh, oh, boy. What this would do to that moose. I knew you'd like the feel of that gun. Uh, just try its balance. Mm, pretty smooth, all right. Here, uh, let me adjust the sights. There. Uh, thank you. Now, now, imagine that that moose were alive and charming. Uh -huh. You raise the gun. Yeah, yeah. Quirly do take aim. I got a bead on him now. Goodbye, moose. Just a little push on this trigger and... Adieu! Oh, the moose! It's gone. The plate glass window blown to bits. And you, Bumstead, where are you? Down here where the eggs used to be. Eggs? Good heavens, man, get out of those eggs. That, that gun knocked me over. Where's the plover's egg, the pink-nosed plover's egg? You're sitting on its white satin pillow. I'm afraid I'm... I'm sitting on the egg, too. I can feel it. A $500 window, an $800 moose, a priceless egg, all ruined by your reckless shooting. You'll have to pay, Mr. Bumstead. You'll pay for this naughty prank. Whatever price you pay for your cigarettes, it's important to remember this fact. Impartial laboratory tests show that by burning 25% slower than the 15 other of the largest selling brands tested, slower than the average of any of them, camels give a smoking plus equal to five extra smokes per pack. Smokers who live in communities where certain state cigarette taxes are in effect can save the cost of the tax, and in some instances more, through smoking camels. If you live in a community where there are no added taxes on cigarettes, the savings are all yours. Plus the extra pleasure you get in every puff of Camel's finer, more expensive tobaccos. Penny for penny, Camel's are your shrewdest cigarette buy. The quality cigarette every smoker can afford. Now let's hurry back to the establishment of Boomer Grundy and Gretsch, where we left Dagwood surrounded by the wreckage of his unlucky experiment with high explosives. Outside the shattered window, a gathering crowd is held back by police. Inside, Dagwood rises from the ruins of the rare bird eggs to face Mr. Gretsch. In fact, Mr. Gretsch himself has arrived and has the situation well in hand. Stop, stop. Now then. Now then. Get up, young man. Get up, I say. Yes, I... It was like this. I was just sort of holding the gun, and it went off. I'm aware of that. The whole town is aware of it. For the first time in its history, the premises of Boomer Grundy and Gretsch have been made the scene of disgraceful notoriety. That'll have to go on the bill, along with the window, the moose head, and the priceless oh. egg of the pink-nosed plover. Oh. Uh, well, but that man shouldn't have handed me the gun. It, it, where'd he go? The unfortunate Mr. Bunworthy has retired with shattered nerves. I am here. I am Phineas Gretsch. I'm very pleased to meet you. I'm I... sorry to say that I... I can't say that much for you. Oh. I'm not at all pleased. The only thing about you that can give me the slightest pleasure would be a glimpse of your check. Oh, oh well, I'm sorry. Uh, but my wife carries a checkbook. Yeah. And send for your wife. I... Huh? She's probably out... Pick up a copy of Conflict with Shadows today from your favorite online bookstore.
The temple of the cult stands, hewn from the solid rock of the Dormite Mountains, outside the city. And in the inner courtyard stands Thor, the priest of the cult. Woe to the unbelievers! Their souls will rot for the absence of life. scientist I could find in the city. Where is everybody? In the hideout. In the hideout? The place bored me. I wanted to be out here where things are getting hot. I want to see the stars the cultists are talking about. Besides, they don't want me at the hideout. I'm too scrawny to survive. Well, wait a minute. What is the hideout? Well, we professors have managed to convince a few people that our prophecy of doom is valid. We've got about 3,000 people. They're supposed to hide where the darkness and the stars can't get at them. We hope they'll survive and leave records. Survive? Survive what? Oh, there are lots of names for it. The cultists have their myths. Oh, yes, yes, yes. What about that? What is there to these myths? As a matter of fact, what is there to this this doctrine of revelation? I'm a psychologist, not an archaeologist. How true it is, I don't know. But the cultists say that every 2,050 years, all the suns disappear and there is a total darkness. And then they say things appear called stars. Of course, men go mad. They mix all this up with a lot of religio-mystic notions, but that is the central idea. Yeah. Well, that's impossible, isn't it? I mean, there, there are always at least two suns in the sky, most of the time four or five. There are not now, only beta. Dr. Sharon, you mean that there's going to be worldwide darkness tomorrow? That all... Mankind will go violently insane. What? What's behind that? Well, for one thing, this is history of civilization of the world. We've located a series of cycles of civilizations comparable to our own, all of which, without exception, were destroyed by fire at the very height of their culture. All right, all right. But is there any scientific theory behind this then that would explain it? The university observatories finished their calculations two months ago. 
Tomorrow there will be an eclipse of Theta so that the planets will become dark. That eclipse comes every 2,049 years. Darkness comes. Maybe those mysterious stars that no man has ever seen. And then, madness and the end of civilization. I see. And the scientists expect to live through this at the hideout. They plan to photograph the eclipse and leave the records, and then the rest of mankind will know what to expect. Uh-huh. Dr. Sharon, what is there in darkness to drive men mad? Have you ever experienced darkness, young man? No, no, but I know what it is. It's just... Well, no light. Draw the curtain. Well, what for? If we had four or five suns out there, we might want to cut the light down for comfort, but with only beta... That is the point. Just draw the curtain and then come here and sit down. All right. Sure, I can't see you. Feel your way. Yeah, but I can't see. I can't see anything. Do you like it? What? No, no, it's awful. Dwarves. They, they seem to be closing in on me. I want to keep pushing them away. All right. Draw the curtain back again. The light. The light. Dr. Sherry. Have you got a drink? Right here. That was just a dark room. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't really so bad. You're afraid. Yes, I am. Just darkness can do that? This isn't just a metaphysical theory, young man. It's promulgated from observed data. Come with me. Where? The locked ward down the corridor. All right. Were you at the Sarrow City Centennial Exposition two years ago? No, I was overseas on assignment. Remember hearing about the tunnel of mystery that broke all records in the amusement area? Yeah. yeah wasn't there some fuss about it? The Anti-Vice Society had it shut down? It was shut down, all right, but the Pluto's had nothing to do with it. Oh? That tunnel was nothing but a mile-long passage through darkness. You rode in a little car, and it took 15 minutes to get through. Very popular while it lasted. Popular? There's a fascination in being frightened when it's part of a game. Absence of light is one of the instinctive human fears. People came out of that 15 minutes of darkness shaking and half dead with fear. Half dead? I thought there was some death. Bad heart. But that wasn't the big danger. Now, which key is this? Ah... Wait a minute, wait a minute, Dr. Sharon. Where are we going? You see. No, the heart attacks were actually good for business. But there was something else. Here, I'll show you. I want you to see somebody. Latimer. Latimer. Go away. Latimer, I want you to meet somebody. This is Mr. Theremin. Now, now go away. Hello? He's pushing me. Make him stop pushing me. Go away. I'm not touching him. What's wrong? Latimer is afraid. The walls. They're falling in on me. The walls. I've got to get out. Let me out. You can't go out, Latimer. It's all right. I've got to get out. Let me out. Let me out. <laughs> that sleeping pill. 
period, we have to give him a shot of more meat. Otherwise, he'd bat his brains out against the wall. What's wrong with it? Nothing. Nothing but 15 minutes in the darkness of the tunnel of mystery. Oh, Doctor, that's impossible. One person out of ten came out of the tunnel that way. That's why we had to shut it down. Why? Why should darkness do that? It's obvious man cannot exist without light. Longer periods of darkness would obviously be fatal. The scientific theory is that the consciousness of light is necessary for mental activity.
excuse me, sir, but huh? I represent the Chronicle, and we're conducting a poll to determine public opinion with regard to the predicted end of the world. How do you feel about it? All this talk of scientific explanation. It's sinful. That's what it is. Oh, oh, I see. Well, then you're a member of the cult, sir. I sure am. Been a member since I was a boy. My daddy was a member, too. I've seen the books. It's all written down in the books. Well, don't you believe the scientist's explanation? Don't need it. Going to save my immortal soul. Going to stay on the mountaintop in a white robe while the stars carry me away to glory. Blessed be the stars. Um, well, tell me, what are the stars? The glory. The breath of the heavens. The spirit of the ultimate. That's what they are. Uh-huh. Well, sir, the observatory has announced that it intends to take pictures of these stars. Blasphemy! I sold my house, gave all my money to the poor. Won't need it anymore. Going to heaven with stars. Glory, glory, going with the stars! Business at a standstill. Doesn't pay to buy anything today, not if the world's going to end tomorrow. There are predictions of economic collapse in the financial sector, layoffs at the factories on the edge of the city. Through the streets, the people mill and turn, unsure, crying in fear or shouting with bravado. But the story isn't here in the city. And so as the hour approaches, the reporter goes again to the observatory high in the hills. Now, look, Dr. Ratton, if you are right, if the world is going to be destroyed, what's the difference if I stay here and observe and take notes? Oh, nothing, I suppose, but you'll be in the way. We have work to do. All right, if I stay out of the way. I can't be bothered with you. You'll have to leave, Mr. Sam. Hello. Hello. Oh, hello, Dr. Sharon. Yeah, this place is like a morgue. It's freezing outside. The wind is enough to hang icicles on your nose. Beta doesn't seem to give any heat at all. It's so far away. Why aren't you in the hideout, Sharon? Me? I'm part of the race that isn't worth perpetuating. You've got a bottle. There will be no alcohol today. It would be too easy to get my men drunk. I can't afford to tempt them. Well, all right, Sam, and you can stay, but keep out of the way. Well, thank you, Doctor. Well, gentlemen, I think it's time we took our positions. The observatory dome is up these stairs. Yes, sir, after you, Doctor. against the menace of madness. We are facing souls in jeopardy. 
Well, we have not succeeded, if that makes you feel better. Your devilish instruments must be destroyed. We obey the will of the stars. Someone call the police in Cerro City. There's no time for that. Let me handle it. The eclipse is only a few minutes away. Look, Thor. Will you give your word of honor to cause no trouble? I will not. Listen. Just as soon as the eclipse starts, we're going to take you and put you in a closet with the door closed, and you'll stay there. Then you won't see the darkness, and you won't see the stars. And that means the loss of your immortal soul, according to the cult. All right, now, will you give your word of honor? You have it. You will all be damned for your deeds of today. Look! Look at Vader! The eclipse has started. Yes, you can see the blackness against Vader.
The priest in his yellow robe sways slowly as his lips move in the ancient tongue. Over and over he whispers the invocation to the skies. The technicians hunch over the instruments. And the sky gradually turns a horrible, deep purple red. The air grows denser. Dusk, like a palpable emptiness, enters the room. And the dancing circle of yellow light about the torches etches itself into ever sharper distinction against the ever-gathering grayness beyond. Outside, later is a mere smoldering splendor, taking a last look at the world. The western horizon in the direction of the city is lost in darkness, and along the highway to the observatory surges a menacing, shadowy mass. The mouth from the city. They're coming. How long till total eclipse? Fifteen minutes. That mob will be here in five. We'll hold them off. Come on, Simon, downstairs. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's no light down there. We have to block the door. Come on. I can't. I can't breathe. I can't go down there. Take a torch. We'll take light with us. Come on. Adam. Adam. I'm here. Did you bar the door? They won't get in. All right, now, everybody. One minute to totality. One minute. Just before totality, I'm changing the plate. That will leave one of you for each camera. Now, remember, if you feel yourself going, get away from the camera. It's dark. It's getting dark. Sir? Sir, why? I can't see you. I'm not here. 30 seconds. Look ah! out, the feet. I can't see you. And the wicked shall perish. And the souls of the true believers shall be transported in glory to the stars. You can see him against the torch. Don't let him get to the telescope. From the stars there reach down a heavenly flame. And where it touches, the cities of the world flame to utter destruction. Grab him, grab him. I'll take care of him. The world must be destroyed by the stars. My God. Five seconds to totality. Four. minute suns shine down in soul-searing splendor. It's more frightening and it's awful indifference than the bitter wind that shivers across the horrible, cold, bleak world. The stars. The stars. Ah! The stars. Ah! Oh, they're coming in, Orvin. They're coming in. Light. Light. Darkness. Light. Never, never, never. in the direction of the city. A crimson glow begins growing. A thousand fires strengthen in brightness that is not the glow of the sun. A million fires as a world mad in the darkness screams in terror for the light. The night has come again.
adventure into the unknown world of the future. The world of... With this program, Dimension X concludes the present series. We hope to return to the air in the near future. Watch your local newspaper and listen to your local station for the resumption of the series. Dimension X is presented transcribed each week by the National Broadcasting Company in cooperation with Street Smith, publishers of the magazine Astounding Science Fiction. Today, Dimension X has presented Nightfall, written for radio by Ernest Kinoy, from the story by Isaac Asimov. Featured in the cast were Lyle Sudrow as the reporter, Cameron Prudhomme as the astronomer, and John McGovern as the psychologist. Your host, Norman Rose, music by Brett Berman. Dimension X is produced by William Welch and directed by Fred Way. Thank you for listening to the Strangers and Pilgrims podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's shows. Visit our website at www.strangerspilgrims.com.